0: That it matters, in the emptiness What's up, annihilating Can't open something and no nothing remains Something flies, sends your breath Eventually yes, so you done with the thought and blood? What does it matter, where you stand? What does it matter, when machines have achieved the skill And an honest existence to death? I don't think the of mine. be a the Don't inside. Alright, so this is the Barrio, today we're here with Lee of Division of Mind, among many other titles, <laughs> so uh, how was your day? Uh, my day was good, it was it was a little bit long,
1: but not bad, I'm still, I'm through with work for the summer, uh, and just got back from a weekend, so I'm still kind of settling back into uh, not having a million things to do
0: all at once, and it's. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, So first, let's like go over like general like music history. So like, when um when do you feel like music became like a big part of your life? Um, Honestly, music was was
1: always kind of a big part of my life in the sense that I was when I was when I was really young. I was always pretty musically inclined, and uh, I mean my father in particular. Was uh, very interested in music. I mean, he was the person who got me interested in, in punk music in the first place. Um, and so you you know my my parents uh, when they were still together, they were always there was always kind of music on, uh, and uh, I you know I used to sit and actually like listen to records with my dad um, when I was really young. But I would say I mean probably it. It became a sort of part of my sort of social life. About the same time that it did with all of my friends, like sort of early middle school, you know, um, just you know, people just about the age where they could start kind of going out to shows from time to time. And you know, my friends skateboarded, and so like the music that was in skate videos, uh, you know, was definitely important. Uh, Important sort of segues into to different kinds of kind of like alternative culture.
2: So you're always into like punk hardcore stuff like metal. Yeah, I mean me- metal, less so. I've, I've
1: never been a huge metal guy. I mean, I, I there's certainly metal that I like. Um, I, initially, I I'd say my sort of like subcultural entry point uh, was more the sort of like goth and industrial spectrum um but because punk and hardcore are just much more accessible in sort of a local sense of like those like when you're young particularly it's like those are the shows you can go to for sure uh and there's much more of an established sort of DIY culture around that so I mean it it pretty quickly kind of gravitated in that direction
2: you were talking about like video games kind of a second ago Are like the tony hawk games like notorious for like punk all sorts of stuff like that like did you play games when you were younger that kind of got you into music more i played played games casually i I would say
1: like skate videos were more of an influence at least on my circle of friends though at the point when like tony hawk and stuff were coming out i'm I remember when the first one came out yeah. and it was exciting to hear bands that I liked. You're probably a, a little bit game. older than I am yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm thirty one. Yeah. That know, makes sense. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like there was there was definitely that moment and I think I can't remember if it was in like two or three that Avail was in one of the Tony Hawk games. I remember when that happened it being like very exciting. Yeah. Or what was it striking I can't even remember. <laughs> I, I was not a big video game guy, but I you know it is it is definitely clear how the Tony Hawk and you know specifically yeah. got lots of people into punk music generally for sure
2: I can agree with that one.
1: yeah like what are uh, some of your favorites from like being younger of being people? young in terms of bands yeah stuff like that oh I mean it was just anything that I could access in a live setting so I I think I mean I, I have a very specific memory of seeing. Uh, Dead Serious, which is a a band from around here, and recognized. So at the time, my favorite band was Count Me Out. they were like, but it was in this way where I was, I was still pretty young, and they did not feel necessarily like peers to me. They were still people that I kind of like looked up to in the way that is, I guess, more of conventional approach to like music fandom. And I remember seeing Dead Serious and recognizing people on stage that I had just seen kind of at shows, you know, in the audience, mashing, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, and I remember, like, it just, like, kind of clicking, like, oh, these are just kind of people like me. I mean, a little older, whatever. They're people like me. Um, and so, I mean, quickly, like, Richmond's... It quickly became... I don't know, that was kind of how... I think I started to get a sense of why punk and hardcore are sort of uniquely positioned as subcultures, Um, but and so at the time, you know, I was like a pretty voracious consumer, but like local in terms of local bands, you know, it was like Count Me Out, Avail, um, Strike Anywhere, were were big sort of important bands to me. Um, Like I said, Dead Serious, uh, Murder Weapon, you know, Dtn, and then. Later on, I mean, you know, all all of the original bands, especially when my friends started starting bands, like, that was what was exciting was like, you know, you could go kind of like, especially the first few times, like going out of town with friends' bands and stuff, like, that were your peers, you know, it was something that you could feel responsible for in some small sense uh, and feel kind of like accountable to and, and like you're a part of something that is larger uh, than, than you. And I think that's like a really attractive aspect
2: of, of punk and hardcore for, mm-hmm. for young people, at least it was for me. Yeah. So, so like coming off of that, you're a sports fan of her, you like soccer. Yeah, yeah. How that. would you compare like the, like when you look at sports, it's kind of the same aspect. You see people kind of get together and that's how they, it's, I would say it's similar to people that like uh, different genres of music. There's kind of like a subculture, I guess, like base, sure. like whatever fan. But how would you say that, like, kind of relates? Do you like go to uh, soccer games? I do, yeah. Um, so my dad is is English, and we spent
1: uh, he's from London. We spent a good amount of time over there when I was younger, and I, you know, continuous sort of. Uh, I I spent a fair amount of time there as well as as an adult. So uh, in some sense, I'm you know like plugged into. The, the kind of subculture that surrounds uh, football in the UK, though not in a particularly active way. I mean, right. it's it's like anything else. It's something that you have to like be very like present for. Uh, I think, in the sense that those are like, uh, you know, across the board with with sports, uh, you're sort of attached to something that is. Uh, as much as there are like sort of personalized qualities of, of a team that you may identify with, or, right. or of a sport that you may identify with, or whatever, you know, that is still sort of a massive, you know, multi-million, billion dollar kind of market, and it's, there's always that sort of aspect of like salesmanship, and um, it will always be, I think, is sort of impersonal in some sense, whereas right. like, at least music subculture, Or the subcultures that we're a part of, I think having a sense of ownership over it um, is an important is an important sort of distinction. Um, You know, there's there's certainly parallels. I think like anytime people sort of identify, uh, you know, some kind of cultural object, you know, a a fascination or interest that they share with other people. You know, of of course, it's it's exciting to meet people who feel passionately about the same things that you do and so there's parallels there but I, I do think it's it's different um, though you know the... Uh, I think sort of location to location it also
2: it varies though for sure and kind of my fault I'll let uh, you get the question uh-huh. but going off of that you'll see that some bands they get their labels and they become big really really fast and you're saying how something like football in the UK, it there's always a salesmanship factor into it. Mm-hmm. Would you kind of argue that there's some types of music that are kind of like that because these bands will get up really quick, get their label, have their producers, and they'll just turn into this this huge band that people just all start flocking to. Like would you say there's less of a like culture within bands like that or would you just how would you like describe something like that happening i would just say that it's
1: it's different you know so like there's the music industry right Right. and you know there are there are there is some crossover with punk and hardcore more sort of like diy or independently oriented music culture um I guess, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I think while I, I'm never going to be the person who like knocks anybody's hustle, you mm-hmm. know, and I think it is certainly a dream to be able to make a living playing music, um, though it obviously is sort of the more entangled in the industry that you become, the more compromises you're going to have to make. You'll see, like, bands will completely change, like once they yeah. get Which, uh, and I, I mean, change isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Like change is, you know, you, you have to change. You, you can't right. write the same record over and over and over again. Um, and sometimes I think being attached to larger labels facilitates opportunities for experimentation and engaging with new audiences and you know, access to more creative producers or different kinds of recording opportunities, and yeah, that's really cool. Um, I don't think everything needs to kind of remain bound up in this kind of weird authenticity market where you're trying to always like gauge if people have uh, pushed the boundary too far or if they're you know kind of uncreative and and too static and too. So, so there's no like, fine line between. Yeah. yeah. But I mean. I will say, like, I, I would never be interested in playing music for a living. Um, at least not punk music. Right. Um, just because it's, it is, like, it's contrary to sort of my approach to things. Um, which is not to say that there haven't been great bands, great sort of punk, hardcore, metal, extreme music, whatever, bands who, who have worked with, you know, major labels or, like, the big independents and, you know, who have big guarantees and big audiences and, and publicists and whatever. Like, I I understand why, if someone's touring eight months out of the year, why they wouldn't want to be booking their own tours, you know? I think making blanket sort of being... The sort of... <coughs> Blanketly saying, uh, oh, publicists are bad, or, like, booking agents aren't punk, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, that... You're, you're always going to end up kind of putting your foot in your mouth. But, I mean, I think there's obviously really toxic aspects of the music industry, and inevitably you're going to run into issues of the sort of commodification of culture that that very quickly becomes kind of dispiriting and, and, and ugly. And, you know, the, the question is, is, like, figuring out where you feel comfortable, right? Um, because there's bands who are, who are super tied up in the industry that I have tons of respect for um, and there's bands that are super super DIY that I think like, are totally full of shit so it doesn't just you know it doesn't always break down along those lines but I mean it's something worth thinking critically about
0: yeah um, a little bit back to Richmond uh, I've like, seen live sets like out of town <laughs> Where like you'll shout out Richmond and stuff like that. Um, do you think Richmond's music scene helped like helped like create a love for Richmond or like what are the other aspects? Within especially? me? Oh yeah. Um, certainly.
1: I mean I I you know, I'm I'm from here. I'm I'm fond of Richmond as a sort of general entity, but my you know, like the the hardcore scene here I think is a pretty special one. Okay. Um, and, and particularly sort of like my history with it uh, I've, I, I really do appreciate the, the effect that it's had on my approach to I mean punk and hardcore certainly specifically but also just more generally creative pursuits I think it fostered uh, at least an, an, a sort of attitude and approach that really works for me um, and I think there's a lot to be proud of about Richmond, uh, as a sort of hub of, of interesting subculture, right? Um, especially for the size that the city is and it's, it's not massive. It's, it is, uh, you know, population wise, but it is very much outsized in terms of what it has going on and the sort of uh you know it's its influence on sort of national subcultural dynamics as a whole so i think that i mean that's cool it's it's something that you know i certainly feel happy to be uh a part of and and
0: attached to um so yeah, yeah i mean I, I do i am i am very fond of it um so going into like playing in bands and stuff or like just making music like uh what would you say, like, I guess, your first, like, band or something was? Okay, so my first,
1: my first real, you know, there's, like, s- some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah, bands that practice never do anything. But uh, my first real band uh, was a band I was in in high school called Olive Tree. It was, like, a pretty, lo- pretty local band. I mean, we did a little bit of kind of, like, weekend touring, and we put out a split 7-inch um, in and. Two thousand three, two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was like my first real experience with doing anything kind of substantial in a in a musical
0: sense. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess like kind of fast-forwarding a little bit from like there to now. How would you say, um, in terms of like? the music itself, like how do you think you have matured uh, as a vocalist? <laughs> well, I'm not 15 anymore, yeah. so that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that, part of it. Um, no, but uh,
1: it's, it's funny actually, like, so a, a band that I was in, in the interim, uh, Hard Stripes, I was thinking about this the other day because, um, you know, Division of Mind, my current band, we just finished recording our LP. And I'd kind of been going back through I'm pretty particular about, about lyrics. Um, and so I'd been going back through and, and sort of tinkering with things and fixing a couple of things that I wasn't entirely happy with. And I was thinking about how sort of naturally, when I was in hardstripes, like, li- writing lyrics came very, very naturally to me. Um, and it was something, I think, for the second hardstripe, 7-inch, I believe I sat down and, over the course of one night, like, wrote every song. Whereas with Division of Mind, um, it's it's been a more involved kind of long-term uh, process with a lot of revision and sort of going back in and and fixing things that I was not happy with, and I was I was trying to kind of figure out why that is. Uh, I didn't come to any conclusions necessarily, um, but I, I mean I think part of it is just. So um, part of it, part of it is just, I guess, not higher standards, but being sort of a little more sort of critical. Um, but also, it's as a person who's like a little older, it's it's kind of hard to write. It's harder to write punk and hardcore lyrics than it used to be. And I think in some respects that's because, like, you know, punk and hardcore, they're they're youth-oriented subcultures. Like, all when when I think back about all of the lyrics that I really appreciate, not universally, but for the most part, they were written by people who were, like, either teenagers or (laughs) in their early 20s. Um, And they were writing that sort of set of experiences and that kind of perspective. Um, And that's not... You know, I was there once, but it's, it's certainly not where I'm at now. Um, and so, I think it is a little more of a like, com- complex or sort of difficult um, endeavor to try and to try and write hardcore lyrics from the perspective of, of an older person in a way that doesn't seem sort of forced or that isn't like play acting. You know, because I'm not I'm not gonna just. Kind of write whatever because it fits or because it sounds good, Um, and so trying to reconcile like all of those different aspects of the sort of process of putting lyrics together has been has been trickier as I've gotten older
2: for sure. So I think I've got like one more question, but as um, as someone in college right now, I know you have a very extensive. Um, like education. You've spent a lot of time in class and um, I was just wondering how you managed to kind of balance the time in between making your music and going to class. And I was wondering if going to school kind of like transformed the way you write or like think about writing lyrics in your music. Yeah, so uh
1: I guess like full disclosure on that, or like the sort of full you know, the full story on that is like I'm currently in the midst of doing my PhD uh in uh, what is a sort of interdisciplinary media studies and theory program. Um but my background is in literature, so my, my master's degree is in English literature, my, my undergrad was in English uh as well. So I mean obviously, the sort of just general exposure to the written word or whatever um, as that's kind of accumulated throughout uh, you know the course of higher education um, has has certainly been an influence like that impossible to deny um, and in terms of how I sort of manage the time constraints um, well poorly <laughs> sometimes <laughs> um, I mean, so the nice thing about, about, you know, uh, at the point where you're doing sort of doctoral work at Mm -hmm. school is, is in some sense much more like a job than it is like going to school. Right. Um, And, you know, as part of my, my sort of graduate assistantship, I I teach, uh, so I teach film at VCU and uh, it is certainly during the semesters, it is a, a pretty intense time constraint it's it's difficult for us to do much right and part of the reason that the finishing the lp was kind of such a slow or laborious process was that i was trying to do it um in the middle of the semester so uh you know and that my work is always gonna kind of be a priority at this point in my life mm. i can't exactly just like fuck off and like yeah you know, skip <laughs> or, or just like bail right. on uh, sort of school obligations or academic obligations um, but the nice thing is it leaves summers open for the most part I mean there's still work to be done during summers but it's not like I have to be at a specific place like five days a week like a lot of people do for their jobs so I mean that makes it easy to do easier to do some things within the kind of standard conventions of like being a hardcore band um, I would say that <laughs> the degree to which I uh, am sort of like very specific about word choice and why I, I can be a very slow lyricist, as, especially at this point in my life, um, is, I mean it's partially just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, so I write for a living, right? So like I'm thinking about words all the time. Um, and when I feel like even in the context of writing hardcore lyrics and I, this is, I think is like an impediment more so than it is, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, this is not necessarily a good thing, I guess is what I'm saying is so, um, I do have a hard time if I feel like a word that I've chosen or, uh, even the sort of construction of a, of a sentence or a line within a song. If I feel like it's it's only like eighty percent there and it's not really right, I have a really hard time just letting it go, Um, and
2: therefore it it can take me a long time to finish. That's that's super respectable though because you'll find some bands you'll look at their lyrics and. I guess it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to sit here and disrespect people, but, like, you'll see their lyrics, and you're like, come on, like, that's kind of ridiculous, but you must have a way to, like, do you find yourself following rules and a structure because you've been around literature for so long? Because... <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I mean, I've, I am certainly, I think, more a- attuned to grammar than all, uh, maybe a lot of people who write hardcore lyrics. But, I, again, I don't think that's necessarily good thing i mean it's a thing that works for me right yeah. like uh and it, for the most part i'm pretty happy with my contributions to the bands that i've been in throughout the years but uh, honestly some of my favorite hardcore lyrics ever penned are are in sometimes I'm like are just certainly not grammatically correct and yeah. in many respects almost like kind of like approaching nonsense yeah. but they You know, or just the sort of like stupid rantings of a a teenager, but for whatever reason, you know, that is what works, uh, in the context that it's in. I think where you start to like, the problem is, especially these days, that there is just so much that's accessible, right? Um that you see a lot of kind of derivative or like paint by numbers lyrics or like, you know, the example that I can think of, um, just off the top of my head is like, I remember after, um, the first, well, not the TY demo, but after Stay Cold came out, like I could not count the number of just rehashed, reconfigured you know, the, the record blew up it was a fantastic 7-inch uh, you know, it is a sort of c- c- modern classic in many respects but then, you know, everywhere it was like, the reaper this, the reaper that like, you know, all these lyrics about being like, ice cold this, whatever um, and so and, and now, I mean, that was at this point kind of a while ago, so like now you really do, you see th- things kind of pop up very quickly, kind of percolate down through culture, get, or through subculture, I guess, and get kind of churned up and kind of reconfigured and spit out. Um, And that, you know, it is hard sometimes not to kind of like chuckle about it when you see the the really blatant stuff. And it happens, it's not just with lyrics. I mean, it happens with, or progressions and drum beats and artwork and you know everything. Like breakdowns else.
2: are one yeah. of the biggest things that I see. You'll see so many breakdowns almost being like exactly copied from sure, other bands. And it's
1: but that's just the thing that I always kind of notice because it, it, you know the first generally when I hear a new band, like one of the first things I pay attention to is the you know the vocals and the lyrics, right? um Just because that's what
0: I kind of grab. Yeah, exactly. So I guess for anybody not familiar, which, I mean, it's hard to miss you guys in hardcore, but uh, how would you describe, like, Division of Mind? Oh,
1: man. (laughs) That's a tough question. How would I describe Division of Mind? Division of Mind is... um, So so the reason that... it's, It's funny to talk about your own band this way, but the reason that I think Division of Mind is interesting to me is that it, it really is like a very collaborative songwriting process, uh, from people, from, from like five people who actually come from like pretty different places, uh, musically speaking. Um, but I mean, if I was going to describe it, uh, you know, like, so when we started the band, we wanted to make hard music, right. Um, but we also wanted to not sort of compromise or write anything that was kind of a throwaway, filler, what have you. And to be, to sort of consider each aspect of the song like very fully. And I think that's because, I've talked about this recently, but it's like, so we don't have the opportunity to do a ton of touring. It's, the band is not a vehicle for us to be able to, like, go and, like, see the country or, like, you know, do the things that were really important. Like, you know, when I was 20, like, the only thing I wanted to do was go on tour. And I would have essentially put basically anything that, like, passed muster, like, would be, like, put it on vinyl, like, let's just get something out so that we can, like, go on tour and play shows. And that is a totally reasonable approach to making hardcore music but you know these days for me at least it's like i can't do a ton of touring and as important and vital and and in some respects singular as like the live experience of hardcore is and i always think that is the sort of primary expression of hardcore um at this point it's like we wanted Everything about the sort of songs we write and the music that we make and the music that we record to be like precisely what we wanted it to be. Um, and to not ever have cause to sort of look back and be like, oh, I wish that we hadn't just said, yeah, like that riff is good enough or whatever. Um, so I mean, Division of Mind is like, we we wanted to write heavy music. Uh, we wanted to write heavy music that I would, the, the influences are not, <laughs> you know, they're not exactly hard to pick out, right? Like we like, you know, Cold as Life. We like Hatebreed, and we like, like Kickback, and you know, we like Amivix, and we like Nail Bomb, and like you know, like the the bands is it's it's not too tough to like pick the the pieces out, um, but you know, rather than necessarily just like emulate one particular band or another, like I think we we did want to do something that was
0: that was very much its its own thing. Certainly. yeah. Um, how do you think the live aspect plays into Division of Mind's uh, sound like rather than the recordings? Because my first exposure to Division of Mind was um, the Triple B showcase last year. Okay. And um, I remember like it was it was heavy like there's a lot of aspects that like really drew me into it um how do you think like you the band is a live uh live band like plays into um transferring it to a like recorded produced album um i guess i think
1: in a, in a live setting you know it is very very much, like, I think in a live setting, the most important thing about hardcore is just, like, the sort of release of energy. Um, And I think, you know, at least for me, like, the the thing that I know how to do is to just, like, give it my all, right? Um, Whereas in a recorded setting, I think... you want to be sort of considered and precise and thoughtful about things whereas like in a live setting it is more about a sort of negotiation of a space between this like group of people, right? You have the people who are at the show and the people who are playing, at the sh- playing the show and whatever kind of intangible thing is like in the air between it all. I think you have to have some kind of feel for that. Um, and that's you know that's all you can really do like i guess you know those those shows were you know those shows are a lot of friends they're fun they're well put together i think like the interesting thing about playing in a hardcore band is like when you show up in the middle of nowhere and the show is totally shot and there's not a lot of people there and you don't have that sort of like built-in energy to kind of feed off of like that's when i think trying to produce something in like a live setting is actually really tricky and difficult and um i i don't know if we're necessarily good at (laughs) navigating those kinds of situations but i've certainly seen bands that are and you know that's always something that really impresses me is like people who can show up to a show that for whatever reason is totally fucking shot
0: and still just like conjure that thing that is hardcore you know before we get into like some of the physical media, um, something that always interested me about uh, lyrics and Division of Mind is like a lot of like mention like I wouldn't necessarily say like biblical, but like there's a lot of heaven and hell things I hear like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, something stuff along those lines. How would you? Um, I guess like where does that come from?
1: Um, I mean, I I find. Religious metaphor to be very useful for thinking about. So, like, one thing I think about, like, sort of culture at large these days is um, you see a lot of the sort of reduction of systemic uh, complex or systemic problems to issues of, like, individual moral success and failure. Um, and I think that. Part of this is because people's approach to, like, politics, social issues, uh, like, cultural dynamics oftentimes is a sort of, like, thinly veiled reconfiguration of, like, what are fairly standard, like, religious and uh, moral paradigms that just either get sort of, like, recovered with something else or they get, like, sort of uh, uncritically, like, inverted and then recovered with something else, you just decide that, like, the things that people tell you are good or bad, and vice versa. Um, and so, when oftentimes when I'm, I'm thinking about, like, uh, when I'm, like, thinking through some of those problems, that, like, I tend to just fall back on the religious metaphors that, you know, were, were useful to me, or just were a part of, like, my... Upbringing and my way of thinking about problems when I was a young person um, because, you know, those things imprint on you or whatever, right? Like, um, while I, I wouldn't say that I'm a religious person in the conventional sense and in the sort of attachment to a, like, ontological or, like, cosmological, like, belief system, you know, I do find certain kinds of religious practices to be actually, like, really useful uh for sort of thinking through my own behavior and and thinking through problems as sort of a lens or kind of like a heuristic to think through um,
0: different kinds of issues all right. uh, so I think that's part, part of the reason it pops up yeah all right so uh, wrapping up um, we asked you to bring some physical stuff sure I'm interested yeah. to talk about that um yeah I mean I I brought just
1: like three things off the top of my head it's it's tough at. It, you know, I I, I churn through influences, right? Um, but like things that are sort of very lasting, lasting parts of my life, uh, uh, and and important sort of foundational or like structural aspects of the the way that I think. Um, so this is a book called "Guilty" uh, by Georges Bataille, who's a a French well, he was a librarian, but also sort of a literary theorist and and philosopher, um, and This is, in some respects, it's a a sequel to a a much more well-known work called Inner Experience, Um, and it's written kind of like aphoristically, and it's not the first work of his that I ever encountered, but it's accessible in a way. uh, I have a friend who always talks about bibliomancy, about how she'll, she'll just sort of like open books and look for like what's on the page uh, that speaks to her, and this is a really, really useful text for me from that perspective. And it was, I think because of the way it's written when I was younger, uh, and particularly impressionable, um, this was at least the non-fiction work of his, because he also writes fiction, or he wrote fiction, I should say, uh, this was the thing that really spoke to me. Um, and, you know, he, I would say more so than, than many is, uh, at least a kind of singular figure that I can point to as being like really impactful upon <coughs> my way of, of thinking, uh, and my, my interests both like kind of general and, and also like academic in a more formal sense. Um, this is the research edition of the atrocity exhibition by JG Ballard. Uh, JG Ballard, um, he was, uh, sort of, uh, he was a British science fiction uh, writer, science fiction I use loosely. Uh, the Atrocity Exhibition is probably his most experimental novel, and it's very, like, highly referential to a lot of his other work. Um, so I actually sort of, I prefer Ballard in short story form, but this uh, this particular text, it's, this edition of it is very good because it's both illustrated and, and heavily footnoted, and I would say is the most kind of comprehensive or, or fullest realization of his literary project. So Ballard, um, he, his work was the subject of my master's thesis. So I've, I've, I've written about him, I, I continually write about his work and he's like a very pivotal figure for me and uh, some sort of cultural transformations that I see as, as being very like fundamental to kind of understanding contemporary uh the contemporary kind of like social conditions of the world. Um and so I, it is it is a good place to start. It's a a, a deeply, deeply troubling book, but I think, I think a pretty well a very important one for me. And this is uh by far the best edition of it. And then uh the last thing that I brought uh is a weird thing. It's a book called uh Ordeal by Roses and it's in some respects by, but more so about uh, a Japanese novelist named Yukio Mishima, who in terms of kind of like individual literary figures, as opposed to having like, uh, I mean, he he did have a strong effect, um, I guess, on my sort of perceptions and thoughts about like the, the outside sort of social world and like the world of like kind of social reproduction. Uh, but in a more sort of, like, interior sense and my, like, way of of thinking through and relating to myself, like, particularly as a man uh, and in and around the sort of sphere of, like, thinking critically about masculinity, like, he is probably the most, like, singularly important individual author uh, for that kind of, like, interior or, or like, self-reflective thinking. Um, And so this is a book... Of, of photographs of him uh, by a guy named Pocoso that he directed and it it was like kind of produced late in his literary career uh, when he was already sort of a minor celebrity uh, and he became sort of infamous because he committed ritual suicide uh, after staging what was sort of a failed coup after uh, World War Two ended. Um, but the and the book itself, it's it does this really interesting thing where it's like this very, it is a sort of, um, it is a visual representation and kind of a visual codification of, of what I think is like a really sort of complex and difficult to access body of work and like looking at these photographs, it, I mean it's work that I'm familiar with and that I've read uh, a lot of and that, you know, again, similar to the tie. like, when I encountered it when I was young, it was, like, very formative for me. Um, but this as just, like, that kind of, like, object, like, text object, or, like, art object, uh, is, is something that is, like, very, very important to me. Um, and, you know, it is, it is, like, one of those things that I, sort of, return to regularly. Like, when I I'm trying to think through, particularly kind of like interior, self-reflective, like internal problems, uh, this is a thing that I often just sort of like look to, to try and help, uh, in a sort of generative or, or provocative capacity, uh, to help me think through certain things. So, um, and I also bring it just as sort of a stand in for his like larger body of work because his, his... You know, his novels, his short stories, and his, his more like critical,
0: theoretical writing are also pretty important to me. Alright, um, so I guess wrapping up, um, are there any like, shout-outs, any bands, uh, anything like that, final words? Sure, yeah,
1: I mean there's, uh, Richmond right now is a hotbed of, uh, fantastic punk and hardcore bands. Um, I... You know there's there's obviously the classics but um you know in terms of like uh let me see i you know i don't even know where to start without like uh leaving people out so just like richmond hardcore in general uh is and i think a really fantastic place right now i think the people who are part of the scene should be should be proud of that um and we just got back from a short tour with uh no warning, blind justice, and never ending game uh and you know i I couldn't have you know that the entire time spent on that tour was was like a treat from front to back uh they're all like fantastic bands um bands that in some respects it's like difficult <laughs> going on after them because they're all such like excellent musicians and very like focused and uh you know, they all just kind of like fucking bring it like every night. But in a way that I think is at least for me it was like very provocative of like I mean especially like we would play after never any game every night and it was like fuck like we have to we have to live up to that. Which I think made us like a better <laughs> live band in many respects. Um but yeah, I mean it's easy I think to look back on Uh, whatever your sort of favorite era of hardcore is and you know think that things have gone downhill or they just aren't as good as they used to be Um, but you know for all the downsides that like contemporary like models for communication information the internet whatever have brought to punk and hardcore and there are some downsides uh, I mean the net positives is the sort of like there's like a connectivity and a way of sort of learning and doing the sort of like scholarly work of of subculture that has facilitated like a bunch of like really really great fucking bands and like the kind of means of access that people have to like all different kinds of music from all different kinds of eras and geographical locations and you know th- bands that you know being sort of plugged into like aspects of the culture that you. Wouldn't have necessarily had access to even like ten years ago. I think has produced a certain kind of creativity that, like at its best, is has produced like really really interesting music. Um, and you know, again, like I, you know, I could go down the list, and you know, for every band I named, there'd be ten that I was missing. But uh, in terms of records that have come out recently, uh, the Deflect LP, everyone should get it. It's great. Um, like the last song on the Deflect LP is like my favorite hardcore song that's like come out in quite some time. Um, I you know like I said I can't wait for the Nosebleed seven inch to come out. I can't wait for the Neverending Game record to come out. Um,
2: so you know there's there's great bands everywhere um, and yeah. All right. Cool.